Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waltman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And my name is Joe Oltman. Joel Oltman. Joe Oltman. As we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been called, I've been called all sorts of stuff here lately. So. Yeah, but you so haven't been called a baker. I have not been called a baker. I have not been called a communist baker who... Uh, or, can, or, or, or a butcher or a candlestick Who talks baker. in hyperbolic uh, terms and... and and says really just nasty things about yeah. how he uh, demeans his wife. I didn't do any of that. So I'm in good shape then. No. No. Good shape. Good shape. Well, today we have Professor David Clements back on the show. He was on with our roundtable a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, so why don't we bring him on without further ado. Welcome to the show, Mr. David Clements. Welcome. It's not Mr. Hey it's Professor David For, Clements. Mr. Professor. Yes. Mr. Professor. He is the Esquire. professor. Professor David Clements Esquire. Me- <laughs> for maybe a few weeks and then it might just be mister nope nope you'll always be the professor we will make you come teach people we will find a way we're All gonna right. call his hillsdale we got we, got, we <laughs> have we have some options here we have some options so david why, said, why, don't we talk about that? <laughs> why don't we talk about that just for anyone who doesn't know what's going on um with your, your fight against the university and it's people coming for your law license you're, you're kind of fa- facing two fights now, the fights over against the university with the different COVID mandates and now fights, them going after your law license because you're outspoken on a number of issues, including election fraud. Talk about that for anyone who, who doesn't know your story. Well, the Cliff Notes version is the, the Marxist component of my university hates me and they've <laughs> they really hate me. And I've given them a lot to, to, to target and focus on since January. Uh, when I basically submitted a video that stood up to the president of my university when he went after all Trump voters, all conservatives, and part of the insurrection plot. And so keep that keep that in mind that we had politicians that I'm not I'm not being hyperbolic here that said that Trump supporters need to wear the scarlet S. I mean, these are politicians in my state calling for this nonsense. And instead of calming the masses or calming university faculty and students. He sent a letter that that basically doubled down and um, it was pretty disgusting. So I I set I basically recorded a video that felt like a resignation video at the time. And um, but that put a giant target on my back because that video got played on Tucker Carlson's show. But you didn't resign. I just want to be really clear. You did not resign. No, I, I didn't resign. I just I thought that my shelf life was going to be pretty quick, though. Um, but because yeah. I went on Tucker, there was this giant audience and there was tremendous p- pressure through emails and phone calls to keep me employed. And um, so I, I weathered that for a bit. And then this past August, they doubled down on the propaganda with the mask wearing, the jab and their testing. 
And I really wasn't fighting that war as publicly. Um, I've, I've interviewed people like Dr. Richard Fleming that have talked about it, and I've tried to push back where I can. But since it's not the law, I, I didn't feel like I had the same agency to, to talk about it. Um, but in my state, we started getting the propaganda out there with the Delta variant. And so they wanted to shut down everything once again. Everyone masked back up. Wow. And oddly enough, I was... Uh, honored with a teaching excellence award for my college. And they wanted me to, to come pick up the award at convocation, which is our celebration on how we kick off each semester. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, David, it would be really cool if you showed all those Marxist professors, you know, show up and get the award, but they wanted me to wear a mask. And, um, and I'm like, well, let me think about it. I don't know. They're pitching it to me, and it, and it just felt dishonest. Like they, it was almost like, let's see if we can buy the guy off. You know, come get your award and put on the mask. Well, I didn't have shown much up with time. a wedding veil, like a wedding a wedding veil mask or a fishnet mask. <laughs> yeah, it felt like the thirty pieces of silver, right? And uh, yeah. I, uh, I didn't have to think about it long because then the university came out and said, everyone, all faculty. All students have to get the experimental jab by September 30th. And if you don't, you're subject to the weekly invasive PCR test. Wow. And so at that point, I'm like, forget it. I'm not going to pick up this award. I'm not going to get the jab. I'm not going to wear the mask. I mean, I've had it and I've, I've been fighting the fight. And it's what people don't realize is what they saw was a video segment that I recorded about 15 minutes of my class where I, I basically told everyone how I wasn't going to wear the mask. A lot of people saw that. What they didn't see was my efforts before that to have the College of Business have a faculty meeting so we could discuss the science. And that request was denied. Um, I then, of my own volition, scheduled a Zoom meeting with university leaders across the university on my own volition. And everyone that, that attended that meeting, will, you know, it had a, a great cross-section. We had people that got the jab, people that didn't. Um, people that actually are professors there that have children that they've sent to other schools because they didn't want their daughters to get the jab because they were worried about sterilization. And uniformly, everyone was like, this was sold to us very differently a year ago. We've been lied to. Um, we don't want to have this compulsory process part of the university. And I was like, well, fine, let's all stand up together. Let's, let's stand, let's lock arms. And it got really quiet. So I told them, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do it regardless of whether any of you stand with me. Um, and I actually record all of my lectures. I have about two and a half hours more that I recorded where I went into Fauci. I went into gain of function testing. These kids got an education. Um, but in any event, that happened. And then the other thing that I, I asked them for was reasonable accommodations. They forced us out of the classroom last year. They made us teach online. And now I'm like, well, you're going to force me to take an experimental drug. Will you give me reasonable accommodations so I can teach online and keep my job? And that was declined. Um, so I've tried to work with them. I've tried to model the dialogue. And it's this ideological possession that's taken place throughout the university. And um, so the answer was no. And then when I, I basically put my money where my mouth was and showed up to class, um, I was frozen out of my email account. The dean who actually showed up, this is actually good news. I want, I want to showcase this. The dean of my school 
showed up to my first class and he was wearing a mask. And I'm like, oh, this isn't going to go good. I'm like, he's going to shut it down. I didn't know. But to his credit, this was awesome, he said, yeah, he said, uh, David, I want to hand you the award that you didn't pick up yesterday at the convocation. He said that I believe in free speech. I don't agree with everything that you say, but you're obviously a good teacher. And he said some kind things. And then he left and he let me teach. What I didn't know at the time was the higher administration sent him there. And if I wasn't masked up, if I wasn't following their mandates, he was told to dismiss my class in front of me, ask me to leave or have me physically escorted off the campus. And he didn't do that. And as a result of that actions or those actions, when I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, at the Reawaken America tour there, um, I didn't know what was going on. I knew that I posted the video, but about 30 minutes before I took the stage, a student texted me and another student texted me saying, hey, Professor Clemens, I just got this email last night that all of your, your classes have been taken from me. And I'm like, well, that's odd because they didn't call me. They didn't pick up the phone. My department head didn't call me. Uh, the uh, upper administration didn't call me. And if they sent me an email, I haven't seen it. Well, I didn't know that they blocked me out. So um, I found that out. And then that same Friday, I found out later that Jim Hoffman, who's my dean, the one that stood up, was stripped of his dean position. So now he's a regular oh, professor, but the difference between... So he's no longer the dean for, wow. for his act of courage. So that's how this all kind of started. And then I've been nickeled and dimed to death over administrative violations um, and recently received a letter of intent to terminate my employment. So I've got a hearing next week to go through a dog and pony show. They're going to act disinterested. And I don't um, I don't dispute that I violated their policies. I mean, I've, I, I've violated every one of these policies, uh, but because it's because they're illegal and they're unconstitutional and are they're gonna, immoral. Are you going to sue them on any grounds for for the termination or are you going to look to uh, have this settled? Uh, I'm still thinking about it, Joe. Uh, the usually what has to happen is you have to exhaust your administrative remedies. Right. So right now I'm in this this kangaroo court where there's no due process. It's a tribunal that's that's there to protect the institution. It's not looking out for me. So I don't have subpoena power. I can't make them you know sit, sit for depositions. But if I were to go straight to district court, they would dismiss it as a matter of law. So I have to go through the, the yeah. kangaroo court. And after I get a final decision and an order that effectively terminates my my job, I can then appeal that to district court. And I think I'm going to do that. I just um, I, my struggle isn't the righteousness of my cause. It's that I know what bothers the enemy more than anything is that I'm out there traveling now talking about all these issues. And so um, I have to kind of reconcile the idea of do I want to be buried in another legal in my garage, you know, filling out briefs, or do I want to get out and, uh, and continue to share the audit gospel? And um, so I'm not sure yet, but I, I intend to fight wherever, the, whatever the wise course of action is. I submitted a response to the, and they did not contest one point of law, one scientific statement that I made, because I know the literature inside and out, and, and the law 
is interesting because even the masks themselves are experimental devices under experimental use authorization. And um, one of the things that I picked up on that I haven't seen as much across the country is that under the Federal Trade Commission Act, the FTC, it's a deceptive practice to tell everyone that you have to wear these masks and somehow you're saving lives. If you're in fact not, that's deceptive. Um, that's against the law. And the other thing is anything that's under an, an EUA, whether it's the experimental drug vaccine or the mask, not only do you have to provide informed consent, you, you have to notify the people that are, that are subject to these mandates of their right to refuse. And when I look at everything that's come at me from the university, there's never any notice of my right to refuse. And that, that goes for the students. That's illegal. That violates federal law. So I've highlighted all these things. It seems like, there, and, there are, and, uh, I mean, I, I'm thinking into my head, there seems like a dozen reasonable accommodations that they can make for you. I mean, like just putting out, you ever see like go to a rock concert and the drummers behind those big plexiglass sheets to try and reflect the sound? I mean, that is a reasonable accommodation for you to teach in, per in person, right? Putting up a bunch of plexiglass. If it's good enough for the cashiers, why isn't it good enough for you? I mean, it seems like there's so many other reasonable accommodations that wouldn't be that burdensome. Obviously, it, it would hinder the process of teaching students if you have a, a glass wall in between you. But the fact that they're not even offering that, it, <laughs> no, you, you're going to have a, an interesting case if they end up terminating you. Well, I, I don't yeah. think they would mind that. I think they're okay with me having plexiglass. And, and I think I could take my mask off within a six foot radius. But as soon as I leave that force field and walk to the door or in the hallways, all of a sudden I'm, I'm a major health risk. And so I'm just not putting up with this horse shit of, of the magic, the magic spell. Yeah. To me, it's, I know the science. I know that, you know, this is like throwing sand at a chain link fence. And when you t look at the literature, it's not as if the, as if you had less particulate, somehow you would somehow be shielded from the, from COVID. It doesn't matter. You just get a small trace oh, amount yeah. and you're going to get, yeah. you're going to have it. So if we know that, let's stop deceiving my students and the faculty and setting up this propaganda that somehow we are protecting people when we're not. And then the other thing is you've got a healthy student population. All of these kids that I'm teaching, there is zero risk being presented to them. The only risk that's being presented to them is that they are being denied effective treatments that are being suppressed. So we've got that 99.98% uh, survival rate for this population. But if they had ivermectin, if they had hydro hydroxychloroquine, if they had budesonine, yeah. there would be zero casualties. I mean, the literature supports that. Um, so the question, it begs and, the question, and the double what responsibility? Yeah, and the double blind yeah, studies what, what, they just did in North Carolina. Yeah, so I, I guess my, my question back to the university is what responsibility do you bear, faculty, students, uh, to, to keep this information away from the public? And they've done that. Well, so can we, can we, can we talk about, obviously you remember Chicken Little, right? The sky yep. is falling, the sky is falling, yeah. the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And you can't ever put your finger on where the sky is falling so that, you know, the, the, they say that we're at capacity. Well, what they don't tell the public is that the reason why they're at capacity is because they've let nurses go and doctors go yeah. 
to accommodate for the fact they've, that there's they've run out of staffed beds. Yeah, they run out of staffed beds. That's the technicality. So, so they lie. Like the, 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 they have one they have <laughs> they have one nurse and one doctor. So they say we have two beds. We're at capacity. That's their way of saying they're at capacity. You talk about the mask, and they said that the mask itself is helping people stop getting sick. It hasn't stopped one bit the curvature because it's again, as you said, it's like throwing sand at a at a uh, chain link fence. Everything that they are saying, Professor Clements, goes back to the one thing, which is they can't seem to tell the truth. We're talking about liars, and you are your job is at risk because they are perpetuating lies. They are perpetuating things that are just fundamentally not true. Like there's no, there's no reason to say it's true. And then while they're doing yeah. it, you have somebody else that's running behind them that is saying, hey, listen, we need to get rid of ivermectin because we want to kill people. Because that's really what they're saying. Can't have ivermectin, well, can't have hydroxychloroquine. I'm sure you saw the news out of the Harvard Business School. If we go to my screen, Mr. Producer, Harvard Business School has a 95% vaccination rate. And they just went to all online classes because breakthrough cases are surging among their 95% vaccinated student body. Yeah. So, I mean, they're saying you're dangerous, but in the competing schools, right, they're doing something very similar and it's not working. It's very clearly not working. Well, and we, we are seeing outbreaks and mutations in the virus. That is actually happening. But it's happening as a result of, I think, them giving people the vaccine and not looking at herd immunity. There are countless studies across the globe of countries that are not giving the vaccine that are seeing low infection rates, low death and mortality rates, even among those that are most at risk, that have comorbidities, that are advanced in age. And here we are in the United States ignoring those facts while we watch Fauci sit there and play politics with the lives of Americans. It drives me. It drives me crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add this. Um, you know, I teach employment law. I teach administrative law. I teach contract law. And it's kind of ironic. Every one of the well, the the, <laughs> the the faculty the faculty members are under contract, and we negotiate that contract. But something's happened. The contract's been modified, not through a a mutual. Sorry, I've got kids screaming in the background. I have to be judicious sorry, with my sorry. mic. It's, it's okay. Um, it's okay. But there is a, I wasn't able to negotiate um, risk. So here, yeah. take the experimental drug, but we're not going to give you an added protection with your insurance. Or um, added benefits. They're not going to increase your Accept the risk, but we're not, yeah, we're not going to chip in on your life insurance policy. And, and then you also have this, huge vacuum of how the law typically works, which is normally medicine is prescribed by a doctor who's got a license. And if he falls below a medical standard, then guess what? I can sue him for medical malpractice for his failure to give me informed consent. The problem here is there is no information on any of these experimental drugs to give informed consent. And yet the mandates aren't coming from doctors. They're coming from unaccountable agencies. Bureaucrat. So it's the CDC, the NIH, or the resident in chief, who's not a medical doctor. And so what you've done is you removed an entire uh, layer of accountability and liability for those that are practicing medicine recklessly. And then you've removed all liability for the pharmaceutical companies to begin with. And so 
then you then you try to boil it down to okay can i control the process just from an employment standpoint with my contract we can't even negotiate that and so i'm wondering where the unions are i mean i'm not a progressive yeah. marxist but i know that the unions what are they doing to represent their members whether it's the airlines whether it's the teachers they they've they've been silent so something to think about yeah no we haven't seen a lot from the unions we've seen some unions push back but they don't actually demand anything more for their members i mean what's the point of joining a union and co and bargaining collectively if the other side is just allowed as you said to unilaterally change the terms of the contract without providing any benefit whatsoever i mean this wouldn't stand in pretty much any other contract and it's it's incredibly ironic that they're going after you and you teach contract law it's uh, I think they might have bitten off a little bit more they, than they can chew if you end up do if you do end up file, filing a lawsuit. But uh, no, none of this makes any sense. None of this makes any sense. And the problem is we're told to suspend our disbelief, suspend our logic, suspend our legal reasoning and just accept it. And in a lot of ways, that's more dangerous. That kind of that kind of mentality is more dangerous than this one issue because they're not just going to stop here. They're going to keep doing doing the same kind of thing with other parts of our lives, too, if we give up this ground now. Well, one of the core courses that I teach is, is consumer protection and employment law. And so I, I teach my students every day on how to be protected as a consumer. And by the way, from an employment standpoint, how do you negotiate a contract of your of your free will and volition? And everything I teach them is at is at odds with these illegal mandates. So, I mean, yeah, it's absolutely screwy. And and you would think that I would have some sense of bravado. It's like, oh, don't they know that you're a trial attorney and that you teach these things? They don't care because they're possessed. No, they don't. And I, I just tell people like, look, if, if, if the president of the United States is told that he doesn't have standing in a lawsuit with election law, what chance do I have? Yeah. And so the, the, the way that the reason why I was a little bit hesitant, Joe, on telling you whether or not I was going to sue or not, this is I've already got a crystal ball of some kind of how this is going to play out. I'm going to go through the dog and pony show next week. They're going to affirm their intent. I'm going to be fired. I know this uh, because they haven't responded to one issue that's that's meritorious that I presented. Well, wait, I presented wait, 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 wait. I'm going to just stop you for a second because I want to remind you. I want to take you back to practice. Okay, you ready? Dude, that's mm -hmm. a great mug. Let me see that mug. That's cool. <laughs> it's bedazzled. I like it a lot. It's the Infinity Gauntlet. Mm -hmm. So, I want to yes, take you uh, back to. I want to take you back to something really quick. I'm going to stop you for a second. You said you already know what's going to go. You have a crystal ball. I'm going to say that with God, anything is possible, and you have no idea how it's going to end because with prayer and the people that are actually listening with prayer, a lot of things can happen. Courage could become infectious. They could become bold. They could stand against this tyranny. I mean, we don't know what could happen in the next in the next week. I'm just going to tell you right now. You think that you know what's going to happen. I'll let you tell you what you think is going to happen. Then I'm going to tell everyone else to have faith that doesn't happen because we need you in the yeah, school well, system. Well, it's not a matter of faith. And so, Joe, I, point well taken. And I, I have been delighted in how God has protected me since January because for for the rational side of my brain was like, I've, I've got a week then <laughs> and he's preserved me. Um, but my, my thoughts here is that one, uh, 
the administrative apparatus is corrupt. You just have to know that going in. And I know that. Um, yes. If I appeal their decision to district court, things change. I have more tools that I can use. I can set people for depositions. I can uh, send them discovery. I can waste their time a lot like they're wasting my time. And there is a righteous kind of fun in doing that. So I haven't ruled that out. But this is how corrupt the law is when it comes to administrative rules and regulations. As long as there is a rational basis for their ruling, meaning it's not arbitrary or capricious, the district court has to give it deference, meaning they have, they're going to affirm things. And, and because everything has been shrouded in COVID, you know, chicken little, as we, the sky is falling, they, they're going to meet that legal standard because it's so low. And basically, rational basis only means this. If right. there's a plausible reason for it, we have to affirm it. So I know that going in. So I'm going to be appealing a Marxist progressive decision to a Marxist progressive district court that will have no problem affirming that. And then I can appeal that to a Marxist progressive appellate court. Right. At that point, it's up to the state Supreme Court on whether or not they would grant a writ of certiorari. I would petition them. Would you please take a look at this to tell me whether it's constitutional or not? So, so the, the deck is stacked. Uh, and so that's the terrain. Now I I'm, I'm a person that prays for miracles. I, I think we've got to have accountability. So I am tracking lawsuits that have been filed in other States that I'm hoping with the Supreme court. And that could be a delivery mechanism. That could be something where, uh, if the U S Supreme court issues, um, a finding or has a case on it, my state would have to follow it. So that's one yeah. way of delivering. So I, I think right now, what I want to do is just model the fight, give people the legal arguments, be a beneficiary of my experience, and they can incorporate it in more conservative jurisdictions. But New Mexico is really bad. So I'm, I'm, I'm all for miracles. I'm all for prayer. Um, but the terrain right now is, and one of the reasons why I want to represent myself is because of the cost factor. You know, if I hired an attorney, the only leverage they'd have on me is what I'm out to an attorney. Yeah. Well, Professor Clements, I will tell you that, you know, um, I have, I, I'm not a lawyer. I play one on TV. I have played one on TV. Maybe actually I haven't, but that's a really good thing to say. Uh, but I've studied law and, um, you know, I, I often go back and forth with my attorneys on, what I think is the, the, the pathway we should take. So I'll, I'll read a book or, you know, I'll pull up something that has to do with, you know, uh, district court laws in Colorado uh, specifically, or even on f at federal court. And so I'll come in and I'll just drop a bunch of knowledge. And there's always this, there's always a caveat. There always seems to be this, this thing that they can stack on top of it, you know, standing merit, you know, they can, you know, uh, probable falsities. They just make things up. So no matter what you come with, the, you can have the best evidence in the world and they will find a way to distort it to a place where they can justify why they don't side with you. And I think that's the fr most frustrating thing about the court. But the other thing that I've learned is that it's expensive. Like I have corporate attorneys, but I'm, I'm 200000 $241,000 in, and I haven't gotten my, my current bill for this fight. I'm a quarter million dollars into it. So I guess the reason why I'm saying that is 
I'm 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 glad that you are blessed to that you understand law that you're a lawyer. I, I see they're trying to strip you of your law license. So another thing so that you can't actually defend yourself. So it becomes egregiously expensive. I look at it and I go, the average person in this country cannot get justice at any level because the average person in this country will basically go bankrupt just to get justice, just to get to the place where they can be heard. And, and I think that fundamentally our system at so many levels is corrupt and complicit with the bad behavior of this radicalism in our country. But the other part is it's, it's tilted so unfairly to turn our society into slaves that, I mean, it's just, it, it, I, I look at me and then I look at everybody else and I go, man, it, it's been, it has been draconian on my family. I can't even imagine what it is on others. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're, you're spot on, Joe. I, that's been one of the greatest disappointments is that when I was a kid, I thought that either being a doctor or a lawyer was kind of the height of what you do to make your parents proud. Yeah. My son's a lawyer. My son's a doctor. And um, you find out that just like every other profession, you've got liars, you've got people with no ethics. But the difference is, is because we represent people, the harm that we can commit and being dishonest has major ramifications. So if you're a dishonest employee at AutoZone, um, yeah, you're gonna get caught pretty quick. You might take some money out of the till. You're not gonna last your long. It's not gonna be the end of that business. But if you're not honest or upright in my profession, you can ruin lives. And I've seen this, this cultural change where people have gone away from natural law, where they ask whether or not a law is just and righteous and moral and it's all about force. It's all about positive law. Whatever whatever the government says you should yeah. do, you got to do it. And and most attorneys unless they are persons of faith are fine with saying it's the law. We've got to follow. Yeah. And that's not the way that the founders thought in terms of whether a law was righteous or not. In fact, we were told if the federal government went outside of its enumerated power structure that you were duty-bound as a state to nullify and treat those laws as void. And, and um, so we've fallen, we've fallen away from that. And then we've gone away from the profession. It used to be a profession. And now it's just a profit generating business. And if we, and, and, you know, just to put things in perspective, every lawyer wants to have insurance companies as their client because they want to be able to bill their time and get paid. And that squeezes out the little man, the little woman. Um, and so no one can afford to have representation. Attorneys used to cut their teeth at the magistrate court level. Now, if you try to hire someone on a landlord tenant case, you're going to be out to your attorney far in excess of what your case is worth. And that's what's right. happened. So we've taken away the training ground for attorneys. We've removed the profession um, part of it. And uh, the reason why I make my decisions to represent myself isn't because I don't want someone else to do it for me. Um, but Joe, you, to your point, I mean, you're, you're wildly successful. You've been a, you know, CEO of a, of a tech company yep. and, and you, you feel the pinch for me. I learned this lesson a while ago cause I ran for office years ago and, um, I knew even then I had to represent myself, but there's the old adage in the law that an attorney that has themselves for a client is a fool. And we've all been told that. Um, but when I ran for office a while ago, I was hacked, there was fraud. And then when I 
called out the fraud and the hacking publicly, I was sued frivolously. There was a there was a slap suit, and you're familiar with the slap suit, Joe. Yeah, strategic I'm in, I'm in that. I'm in that now. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. So there was nothing meritorious to the lawsuit other than let's bury this guy with a lawsuit and make him pay exorbitant fees for discovery. Right. And, and just pull him through. So I knew even then, I'm like, I, I'm going to represent myself. Well, to put this in a context, I got dragged through the legal system, even though I told the truth. I had the forensic evidence. I was a prosecutor. I had forensic experts as friends that could confirm how I was hacked. And it took me two years to get resolution in that case after the fact. And, and if I would have built my time on what I spent, I would have been out to an attorney 200 and some thousand dollars easily. Um, and all the leverage, all the pressure that would have been, been applied to me would have been from an attorney. It would have had nothing to do with the merits of the case. And the opposition, the trial team on the other side, they basically dismissed the case a week out from trial because they knew I was committed. And so I would tell people that your, your greatest strength if you're a pro se litigant is one, it really pisses off attorneys because you're going to get a pass because you're not expected to know the rules. Um, two, um, you, if you want to fight the principle, you need to do it yourself. You'll end up doing a better job than most attorneys because they don't care about your problems personally. They care about making sure that they can pay, make payroll. And then three, the thing that scares the dickens of other attorneys is trial. They don't want to be seen as the bad guy. They don't want their clients to be seen as the bad guy. And I've been saying this since day one, whether it's Joe Altman, Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, all of these, these terrible entities like Dominion, Eric Coomer, they will never have their case go to trial. And it's not because of Joe. It's not because of Sidney. It's because they've got nothing. Their entire strategy is to bury people with costs and then try to get disclosure agreement, settle it in the shadows. I will never settle. I will never I settle. I will never settle. And David, you, you, you have been around me enough. Do you think I'm ever going to settle? I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I said that I will trade in my suit for work boots before I ever settle. No question. And I actually like work boots. I like plowing the field. I love it. So for me, I'll never settle. I will never give in to the evil in our country. Never. I'll sacrifice everything. If somebody asked me what I'm willing to give up my life. I'm willing to give up my life. Why not? To let these evil people do this to not just me, but other people? No, I'm out. And the other people that you mentioned, Linwood, he's fight. He is a lion. The guy is fighting like a lion. And every day he wakes up and does the same thing. And I know it bothers him. I know when people say bad things about him, it bothers him because it bothers me. The hit pieces bother me. And then they don't until they don't. And I just, yeah. I, th I think that this whole system, yeah, I'm going to spend a million dollars. I'm going to, my lawyer's already told me, you're, you're going to spend a million dollars. And I was like, uh, uh, it's going to be hard. <laughs> but it has to happen. They, they, you know, and somebody said in the comments that, that you know, that, that, that the little guy always loses. I just can't, you said, and I wanted to, by the way, I wanted to represent myself, David. I wanted to, right? I wanted to. I just know yeah. that I would stand up there and I would say, the heck with your rules. You're, you're ignoring your rules anyway. And then I would tell the yeah. Antifa judge exactly what I thought, and that would become very bad for me. It's a thing called <laughs> contempt of yeah, court. Yeah, you, you, would, you would likely be held in direct contempt and shown to a jail cell. So, Joe, 
no, I, I get that. And, and, um, and, and to your point with Lynn and the others, the others out there, yeah. you know, they can't beat Lynn at trial. Lynn no. is Lynn Wood is amazing. Sydney Powell, you can't beat She's her. Amazing. So what they're trying to do is go after people's status as a lawyer through the rules of professional responsibility. We're a self-regulating profession. Yeah. And if we can yank their license, we remove them from the playing field. And that's what they're trying to do with these bogus things. And Perkins Coie, this god-awful, demon-possessed law firm has a strategy and they work behind the scenes on all of these cases. When uh, people filed complaints against my license in New Mexico, guess what happened? Every time I would respond within 30 minutes, there would be an order that they would point to, which was the Michigan order. Now, I'm in New Mexico. I have nothing to do with Michigan. They sent me the order sanctioning Sidney Powell and Linwood immediately saying, by the way, you should have known better than to comment on You weren't on even these a party elections. to the case. Not a party? Haven't filed a lawsuit on any of them? And they're trying to use that as a warning. So yeah. they're talking to each other. And then they had the Rudy Giuliani decision of removing him from, I think, the barn in New York, I want to say. So those were the two orders ready to go to put me on notice. And then they started making outlandish requests for me. They, they said, you mentioned 5,000 affidavits. Um, send this them to is us. crazy. Guys, listen to this. Go yeah. ahead, David. You have to say this. And I, they're telling me I have to go because I'm going to meet Scott McKay tonight. But I, I you know, okay. you got to hear this. Yeah, so to put that in context, when I talk about the 5,000 plus affidavits that, that have been reviewed by myself and others, that's, my, that's the body of work that I've spent the last 11 months looking at compiling. And so, and, but these are affidavits you would find in all of the individually filed lawsuits across the country. And to put that into context, there's about 450 lawsuits that have been filed. I've personally evaluated about 90 of them thoroughly. And so it's a totally punitive request. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I've referred to evidence aggregating websites where you can find them, but it takes time. And you can, you can click on links and you can get PDFs and you can get complaints, but you have to do the work. Their request said, don't send me to a website. So the request for me, someone who hasn't filed a lawsuit, that's not directly involved in any of the cases. Professor Clements, give me every affidavit in every publicly filed case in the entire country. That was the request to me. Um, so uh, I, I've, I've pushed back on that. And then the other thing, and this concerns Joe, I've interviewed Joe. I, I was, other than Michelle Malkin, I was one of the few people that, that got the full story of what Joe's done in standing up to, to Eric Coomer. And he mentioned the relationship of the Antifa judge to Antifa Eric Coomer and then the Antifa whistleblower that came out courageously to get Joe on that call. Well, because I have published that interview, the state bar is telling me you need to provide evidence of Joe Oltman's statements. Okay. You want my affidavit? So, well, I, no, I've, I've got, I've got what I needed and I, sh right. I showed that screenshot with, with, uh, and the point, the From point where? is, is that that's unheard of as well. Yeah, how, um, and where are they going off so, with that? Because you're you're not you're not producing like an article on your own name. You're interviewing someone, and lots of lots of I'm not not saying that Joe's crazy, but people interview crazy people sometimes. And and the interviewer that that doesn't necessarily mean that the interviewer is um, endorsing what the interviewed person is saying, right? I mean, like 
tyrants, dictators get interviewed yeah. all the time. That doesn't mean that the person asking them the question is also a tyrant or supports tyranny. It's it's a huge logical leap. Where where do they get off on, on well, telling you? Oh, but, it, but that that that, that that ties to that ties to why I know Perkins Coie's behind it. For them to to go to pivot again, New Mexico attorney to a Michigan case that they shouldn't even know about with Linwood City Pal, and then make the point to bring up Joe Altman dealing with Eric Coomer and the Antifa element there. They're all talking. Now they got silent. They got very, very silent recently because I filed a response and I did provide the screenshot of the judge with her sign uh, talking about, you know, burning cities to the ground. And I provided uh, evidence of thousands of affidavits in spite of the the nastiness and and the the, because they didn't think I had it. So I'm like, let's just start with Michigan. You you wanted to talk about Michigan and then Michigan. Here's 234 pages of affidavits out of Wayne County. Here's 20 sworn reports that were done by uh, Matt DiPerno. Here's a news article to 7,000 affidavits that were delivered to the state capitol demanding an audit. Um, here's a, here's another link to 12,000 incident reports. And that's just Michigan and two counties. I'm like, when you've done that, let me know. We'll go to another county or we can go to Georgia and I'll walk them through all of it. But they haven't responded to it now that now they've gone cold before they would respond with their with their Perkins Cooey strategy within yeah. 30 minutes. Now they're not responding. And I think part of that is because you had that indictment of one of the Perkins Cooey attorneys. Mark Elias has left and gone to another firm. I wonder if he's received a target letter. Democracy. Because if this is the case, the disciplinary boards and all of these different states that are punishing attorneys like myself and Matt DiPerno, um, they're part of it. I mean, if they're receiving information. If you you were to take on a client who says, I have all these affidavits, I believe this is a worthwhile case. I will pay you to represent me in court and I want you to present this argument. Right. The old saying is even bad people deserve lawyers, not saying that you're bad if you believe in election fraud. Right. But it seems like this is throwing that entire concept on its head and saying that you aren't allowed to be a lawyer and to present a case legally that the powers that be disagree with. I mean, where does it go from there? Does that mean if, if, if there's someone who is accused of murder, they don't deserve an attorney? I mean, we get into very, very sticky um, legal precedent here. The idea that they can just sanction lawyers because they don't like the arguments that they're making potentially in court, as we've seen with uh, with Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani. I mean, how is this? I don't want to live in a country where where you could be declared so evil or so terrible or your thoughts could be declared so evil and terrible that anyone who tries to represent you, even if you're paying them, would be disbarred. I mean, that that's I don't want to live in a country like that. Well, she didn't think that I had the evidence at first. Now she's quiet because I not only did I, I give her what I just told you about, I pointed her to the 90 lawsuits that I evaluated. And I said, please tell me that you filed, there's disciplinary proceedings against the teams of attorneys in these other 90 lawsuits. Because if that's not the case, perhaps my claims are meritorious. And again, I'm just commenting. Yeah. I'm just commenting on these lawsuits. I didn't file one. And they haven't, of course. Well, so I want to tell you something. We have, as they like to say, we have the receipts. We have more stuff. We're we're actually waiting. I my attorney said, Joe, just don't say it. And I was like, No, no. I we have the anti-slap part. We we have Eric Coomer dead to rights on lying through his fat little teeth on the deposition. I can't tell you what he said because that's under deal. We have him dead to rights lying. And now, even worse than that, is that the judge is. 
so the reason why I'm saying this, David, is because we have the receipts on the judge. We have more than that just picture on the judge. We're just waiting for that piece of trash Antifa judge to do the wrong thing and do what she's done up to this point, which is represent herself as being a, a ethical part of the judiciary. So we, we, we know that it wasn't just that post. So I, I'm going to give you more information. This is like Christmas because I hope they do come back to you. And I didn't know that they were attacking you specifically on me. But now that I do know, um, I will just un unleash my own Kraken, little Kraken, the baby Kraken, not the city power Kraken. Okay, Joe, because what I did octopus. is I would, <laughs> I would send emails back and I would, I would set landmines. And I don't mind telling them my strategy right now because yeah. this is how stupid these people are. Yeah. That are you really asking me to produce every affidavit in every case in the entire country? And she 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 actually responded back on. Um, she started kind of fighting over it and like, why don't you just yeah. give me 10 of your best affidavits? She knew that was a mistake. She got greedy and she was being evil. And um, so I, I'm like, oh, so we went from 5000 to 10 and you want me to select what I think were the best affidavits, um, which is also inappropriate because when you look at affidavits, if you're a fact finder, it's up for you to determine the credibility yeah. of what someone says. It's not for me to do it. And then you judge whether I can I can judge facts accordingly. It's a one step removed. Um, and then the fact that she made the ask on what Joe said was also inappropriate. And I know that. So I, I, I sent an email. So on Telegram, I started asking my, my followers, do you guys think that this is borderline misconduct? Because what a lot of people don't realize is that the profession of law used to be self-regulated in the sense that only an attorney could file a complaint against another attorney yep. or your client could file one. Now they've amended the rules everywhere to allow any member of the public anywhere in the country to file a complaint. And, and so I've got complaints from a guy out of Nevada that I, that I don't know, but he's got a complaint that's going to be uh, lodged against me. And so I asked her, I was like, are you sure that's the way it works? Because guess what? My investigator is an attorney with the state bar, and I have an ethical obligation to report her misconduct if she tries to abuse me. So I think I should file yeah, I'm, a I'm complaint. Looking, I think I should file a complaint should. since I was put in it. I think I will, actually. I think that's a great idea. You should. An ethical complaint. And then and, and that raises the question of, well, do you now have a conflict of interest? Because now uh, you're, you're under disciplinary threat after trying to bully me. And so, like, if they want to do this this stupid ass game, let's go ahead and play it. But um, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not afraid of these people at all, and it drives them crazy. So there's radio silence right now, but we'll see what happens. Well, I know Joe has to go shortly. I, I want to just pick your brain on one thing real quick. Um, per, uh, there's a, a law professor, Erwin Chemerinsky. Okay, I probably mispronounced before, his name. Before you go, okay. <clears throat> um, he is the dean. Uh, he, ser he serves as the founding dean of University of Calver California Irvine School of Law. Um, he has argued before the Supreme Court in Heller versus D.C. that no American should have the right to own a handgun. He, he filed a friend of the court brief, right? He filed the amicus brief. That is a heinous, heinous opinion. I'm thinking of all of the logical steps. And if they are going after your license because you expressed an opinion on different legal cases, what they are setting up is a system where they can go after people's law licenses for filing amicus briefs or filing friend of the court briefs. 
because there isn't a whole lot of a difference between you saying, hey, I think about this and you telling the court directly, hey, this is what I think about this. And again, I don't want this guy is terrible. I mean, just look at the picture. He's 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 a, he's a nut job <laughs> and he has he's always very smart, but he has really, really radical opinions. I mean, go ahead, take this down. Just the whole point. They're not going after him. He'll never be in jeopardy. Right. He'll be able to say whatever he yeah. wants in his amicus briefs. Well, well, I'm I'm very familiar with Erwin. Um, in fact, he has been the leading constitutional scholar that has been uh, basically providing his garbage propaganda law students across the country for years, four years. And so he is the leading proponent of the living constitution, legal yeah. positivist approach. What I told you before, might makes right whatever the government says they can do. And, and so Chemerinsky, uh, I hold I hold his philosophy in contempt. There was a great debate uh, between him and and uh, John Eastman. John Eastman's a patriot. John Eastman was yes. a clerk for um, for Clarence Thomas, and he was one of the leading scholars talking about what happened this past November. They have kind of been the polar opposites in the legal world. One that represents a real constitutional view that would be Eastman and Chemerinsky, who has watered down our natural rights, and he has basically been a mouthpiece for the left going back forever. But everyone in my law school, even when I was in law school, would swoon over the, the yeah. legal mind of Chemerinsky. And I, I, you know, it's like simple questions What is what unravels their philosophy. When they talk about, well, society's changed, we've evolved. I just ask them the question, well, what about the amendment process? What, if society has evolved as much as you say, wouldn't it be easy to just have an amendment to the constitution? That's the remedy. What, what, why they don't go that route is because society has not evolved to the extent that the founders thought they needed to in order to change the Constitution. And Chemerinsky yeah. and these people never have an answer for that simple argument. Yeah, the, you, you hold him in contempt. The difference, though, is you're not going to go after his law license, right? The way you defeat a bad idea is to debate it and to show how stupid it is and show how foolish it is. Not to say that you are too wrong to possibly... Um, serve as a lawyer. And that's the big difference between the right and the left. Hey, I'm going to let you we finish up. We will them. Go ahead. Professor Collins, I'm going to let you finish up with Max. I will see you in Tulsa. I've got to go meet with Scott McKay. I'm headed to speak tonight in Denver. But hey, God bless you. You, you know that I'm always in your He's corner. I'm always praying late. for you. <laughs> and uh, love you, brother. Very, very much. Love you, Joe. I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. But that yeah, seems Matt, like the Max, biggest difference. What, what there's no, there's no conservative yeah. cancel culture going after these insane lawyers. And listen, I hold, I, I agree with you. His, his political opinions, his legal opinions are contemptuous. I mean, he's trying to get people killed just on that one issue alone of you should not have the right to have a functioning assembled handgun in your own home, even if it's locked up. I mean, this is radical stuff, but no, he's, he's still put up on that pedestal. So that's the difference between the right and left. We're not going to cancel him over it. We're well, going to try and confront well, him. Under on the, the, under the amended rules, under the amended rules of each state, right now, I think what he did was misconduct. Uh, and I'm triggered. The, it was a microaggression even having to see his face and look at that Wikipedia article <laughs> that you had. And wouldn't you know that they under got the worst picture rule, ever. They got the worst well, picture you're ever. Not gonna, <laughs> you're not going to make him look any better. That's, that's the glamour no, shot, no. my friend. Um, but anyone could file a complaint against them with with the, the landscape that we're in now. I mean, that's what I'm talking about is that everyone with these new amended rules in my profession, everyone's guilty. 
All it takes is a motivated aggressor to condemn and accuse and try to remove your license. Um, conservatives don't operate that way. So I'm, I'm joking. I'm not asking people to, to file complaints against Chemerinsky. But the fact of the matter is that doesn't stop the Marxists from doing that towards me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just, again, I look at this slippery slope and I'm imagining a potential world where lawyers are disbarred because they lie in court. They lie to get their client off the hook, which it happens, right? I mean, there are plenty of lawyers who know their client is guilty, but they still stand up and say, oh, yeah, he's, he's innocent. They still make that case. Is that now going to be grounds for disbarment, for defending and declaring that a guilty man is innocent? I don't want to live in that world because, um, as I said earlier, <laughs> it terrifies the, the shit out of me. Yeah, well, you've got, I mean, Joe, Joe's seeing this up, up front, up close and personal. You know, even the way that the anti-slap suit provisions are supposed to protect the targets of those, those slap suits to put an end to discovery. If I'm understanding Joe's lawsuit correctly, they haven't stopped Dominion from having abusive discovery processes directed towards well, Joe. Eric Coomer. Eric Coomer. Or, or, yeah, or, or yeah, Eric, Eric Coomer, right? Yeah, so Eric Coomer no, is able to do that. They got discovery before they've even ruled on the, the slap motion. Which, which <laughs> guts the entire purpose of the anti-slap provisions, which is, Judge, we're putting a hold on this. We're not going to punish Joe Altman as, as because we've got this legal protection. Well, because the judge there is part of the club, part of the corrupt club, um, Joe doesn't have the protection of the law. So this is what we're seeing here is this the groundswell of corruption where we're not all equal under the law. We're not. We've picked our targets. They're conservatives. They're Christian. They're men. And we're going to say we're going to hold you to a different standard than everyone else in the country. And that's why people are coming after Joe. That's why they're coming after me and Sidney and Lynn and Matt DiPerno. It's it's the, those that are are trying to to expose the con on how our votes were stolen. They can't put up with us and they can't beat us. That's why they're removing us from the playing field. Yeah, it's the old line from Macbeth. Methinks she doth protest too much. When they start going after lawyers and trying to get rid of their law licenses, it seems like they're they're really afraid. I, I always say it's like that that really bad movie, Starship Troopers, where a young Neil Patrick Harris puts his hand on the on the alien. And he stops. He says, "It's afraid." It's one of these moments. It's it's very well, obvious. Hey, that they're afraid. We 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 agree on everything, but I'm gonna have to push back. Uh, Starship Troopers is an amazing <laughs> film. And the reason why people think that it's terrible. Now, hang with me here. I it's think it's actually, so bad it's good. I think well, it was it. intended. It's intended to show you what propaganda looks like. If you look at it, what oh, yeah. looks like like a che a cheesy. Watch it with the with the viewpoint that this is this is a. It was making fun of the propaganda apparatus oh, totally. of the military industrial complex. It's working on a deeper level. So I'm I'm a I'm a big oh, fan I, I of agree. of that movie. <laughs> oh, I, I agree with that. It's, it's um, not like when they when they have all the soldiers and the one girl turns and says, "I'm doing my part," and then like 30 seconds later, they're just cannon fodder and they're all just exploded. Um, no, it's, yeah. it's definitely operating on a different level. I just like to make fun of it because it's uh, it's kind of a silly, silly, silly plot. Oh, it, it is. <laughs> it is. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on, Professor Clemens. It's it's really fun to pick your brain. Um, I know Joe would have loved to be here, but he's very late in, in kind of classic Joe fashion. <laughs> but I want to thank you so much for coming on and wish you the best of luck. And, I, and I, we're going to 
obviously continue to follow it. Wish you the best of luck with this hearing coming up. Thank you, Max. Uh, just I appreciate your prayers, your support, and I, I appreciate your guys' voice out there and in uh, fighting for we the people. All right, well, thank you so much. Have a great night. Okay, take care. God bless. That was Professor David Clements. Um, really great guy. Really smart. I, I've only this is only like the second time I've talked with him, but he is a uh, very, very obviously knowledgeable, and I cannot believe that they the one that they are going after at the what M NMSU, um, the one that they're actually going after the fire is the professor who teaches employment law. I, I don't think it could be more ironic than that. And also at the same time, I don't think that you could have a situation where the target of their of their nonsense is more prepared to fight back. So obviously we're going to keep covering that, keep looking into it, and we'd love to have David back on as that unravels a little bit more. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. Um, we did put out a, a fax blast today. Well, before the fax blast, we put out a call to action to help Arthur Pavlovsky, friend of the show, been on the podcast many times, traveled the country with Joe with all these different speaking engagements. As we did mention, um, he was arrested the minute he touched down in Canada, arrested on the tarmac. So he is now out, but he has a, a steep legal fight to face. And so we are raising money to try and help for his legal defense. So we sent out that email today. Um, we'll go ahead and post that in the comment section and we'll post that on all of our different social channels so you can find that as well. And if you can, please do consider donating. Um, Arthur's a great guy. He is as humble of a guy as you will meet given what he is going through. Um, lots of times people can get this, it can go to their heads, right? They can kind of get a martyrdom complex. They can kind of feel like they are, are superhuman, but he, he doesn't feel that way. And he is as genuine of a man of God that, that I've probably ever met. So definitely make sure that you join that campaign to help him out. He really does need the help. That's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. If you like the podcast, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Podbean. All those links are in the description. Very good news. I'm going to try and get it up. We just hit number 56. We used to be number six. We were number six in the country for Apple Podcasts. And that, then we got throttled and shadow banned and all that. We got down in the rankings, but now we are making the rise once again. If we put up my screen real quick, Mr. Producer. Sorry, I, I, I misspoke. Um, 58, if we put up my screen real quick. We are 58 in the country, and we just passed little Benji Shapiro, the Daily Wire, their debunked podcast. We are now ahead of them. So if you can, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please do live, leave a five-star review and help us climb even higher. That's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Anyone in the DLive comments, if you, can, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, Call in 888-441-1121, and hopefully we can we can figure that out. Um, I know I know we have one or two producers still there, so 888-441-1121, and we'll get you those tickets if if we haven't already sent them to you. That's probably the fastest way to do it, rather than going over email. So yeah, call in, and, and we'll try and get you taken care of. That's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Thank you to Professor Clements and Joe. He had to leave early. My name is Max McGuire. Remember, the fight to take back our country is not over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together.